Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we're talking with Herman Arnold. He is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and currently co-founding 42 Hacks and also an application called Coffee Call, although he is running a lot of different hats and working in different projects that we will be talking around. And so he is a really interesting person working for a lot of years in and investing in several startups. So uh, we would appreciate to talk about this subject with you, Hernan. Welcome. How are you doing? Hi, Ricardo. Um, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. <laughs> thank you. And I'm um, sorry for the surrounding, whoever sees the podcast. I'm in a car because I just had to drop the family. <laughs> Good. Yeah, understood. Uh, complicated to handle all the work-life balance, right? Or how do you work That's into true. that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I tried to work in the during the nights and uh, have family during the days, but uh, yeah, somehow like that. Okay, got it. Well, maybe we should discuss about that uh, first before going deeper into your companies and so on. So you said, how do you typically manage your time? Or is this just a special occasion or you always work during the night? Or how do you have your schedule normally? Well, um, well, obviously, there are a lot of meetings like board meetings and others that um, are during the day and I, I, I do it, obviously. But I try to I have three little girls, um, five, four and two, and I want to spend time with them. And therefore, um, I try to to manage and, and I always think it's somehow a little special situation and it will become different. But I don't know, probably when they go to school, yeah. Um, all of them, but in the moment I'm, well, let's say I'm trying to be in the morning with the girls, um, during the day, I'm obviously working and in the evening, then with the girls till they go sleep. And then often I'm, I'm then still working at the night and now I'm in Central America, obviously different time zone. Therefore I'm also working very late and very early to catch the time zone in Europe. Mm -hmm. Got it. And well, so we can talk more, what are you currently doing in your day to day? So is mm -hmm. 42 hacks, uh, one of your projects. So is this occupying your 100% attention or, or how it is going for you? Well, I'm involved in, in, um, several organizations and uh, businesses and it's always different intensity um it's like a portfolio uh, and um, i would say those two that i'm operatively involved um are 42 hex yeah it's about we want to 
engage more people to actively work on climate solutions uh, because we all know climate is a big issue, but um, we all recycle, we all try to fly less and eat less meat. But the question is, can we also work on finding solutions to to accelerate innovation and uh, adoption in the market? And that's what we're doing with 42Hex. And they're operatively involved in, in different phases with different intensity. And the other thing that I'm involved operatively is uh, we're founding a school of participation um, because I'm I'm very concerned about also the future of our democracies. <laughs> we see it all around. And um, my feeling is that the problem of democracy is that we didn't upgrade the system since 200 years. And we are now, and I tried already several um, approaches to have an impact on how to upgrade democracy. And now we're founding a school for participation where we um, train professionals that know how to involve people in different decision processes or creation processes, be it in, in the society, be it in companies, because it's both areas and NGOs, and all three sectors, it's important. And um, we hope by having professionals, we will have better solutions by participation, and then also one day executives that trust participation processes when they're done well. And um, with that, we, we get an upgrade. There's, these are the two projects I'm operatively working in. And then I'm in, I'm invested in 30 plus startups. Some of them are going well, some of them not so well. And um, no, I would say most of them are doing quite good in the moment. Um, and there I'm spending in some I'm sitting in the board, in some I'm quite an active contributor, in others um, not so much. For example, you mentioned um, Coffee Call. That is a company I really um, like to work with, really um, talented people. And they now just did the second pivot um, from away from Coffee Call. It's still working this app. Uh, the idea is to have people in the remote working environment to connect for this coffee uh, machine, or in, in English you say water cooler chats. When you when you're working remotely, you're missing that. But um, they just pivoted because they found out that a lot of people said, "Well, I don't want to have an other video call because I'm already all the time in video calls." And now they are doing feeding, and I like like this very much. I'm a, I'm a power user of it. It means you're walking while you have calls and meetings and uh, because it's obviously it's better for your health yeah sitting is the new smoking and um, on the other side you also are more concentrated because you're outside you're only audio only and so on and that's something really cool yeah? and they're also involved a little bit more and then there are other startups i'm just invested and never hear anything of them anymore <laughs> got it got it um, let's go step by step, maybe first to the 42 hacks and, and go deeper mm -hmm. into it. And what, what are you trying to achieve with 42 hacks? Or if you can go deeper into what actions are you implementing and what are the plans that you are having into this uh, startup? Well, we um, first of all, when we look um, 
at ourselves when we were um i was running a company for approximately 20 years growing it internationally and then we we, we sold it and one day we had to leave and um my co-founder and i were asking ourselves okay what do we do next and then we were starting already the next business when we realized okay we all have little kids and they will ask us one day hey daddy what did you do when the world was burning yeah you could choose whatever you want to do and the only idea you had was to build the next business really and we said no we want to have a better better answer for that and we want to contribute to to help to solve the climate crisis and then the question is what can business guys do in in this area and then we said okay what we can what we are good at is organization organizational innovation that means to attract talents and to get them together working in a different way than normally and then sales is a quite a good um competence of us and therefore we said okay let's and and startup venturing yeah building new startups and then we said okay let's bring that together and that's what we're doing now is we're doing every friday we have the Friday Climate Hack that's online from five to uh, from three to five Central European time, um, where you just can join. You don't need any preparation. You don't get any homework. It's just two hours where you're working with others together in very innovative methods to create ideas and work ideas out in the area of climate and then we hope out of the people that are working on those in this hex that there are some that say okay that's really interesting and i'm moving forward and i'm committing to this idea and i'm going to start a startup in this area and we're organizing um larger corporations also to join because we, we believe the biggest leverage you have when you have talents and existing companies with a big leverage to do those changes and to make it concrete in the moment we are, we were looking at different areas and obviously mobility is one of the most contributors to global warming and railways yeah public uh, public transport in general and railway should be one of the winners in this area because they are electrified since 100 years yeah but when you look at the innovation pace in the railway sector compared to the innovation pace in car industry, that's ridiculous. Yeah, mm -hmm. nothing more or less changed dramatically during the last hundred years. And therefore, we are now uh, working out ideas of how you can make um, public transport more sexy, um, more convenient, and so on. And um, working together there with some innovative railway companies to find those um, the real solutions and then to implement it together with this community and we now have also um, found a team that starts um, and works 100% into uh, this area mm -hmm. yeah. and is every Friday having a different subject or area of attention or you are actively into mobility for now and stay there for, for the moment? In the moment we are in mobility because we have a lot of things to do, but in a few weeks or a few months, 
we will add other topics. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how do you track the progress of the teens participating into the, let's say, the hacking sessions? Or how does it work for you guys towards helping them to go into the right direction? How do we secure that this goes into production, let's say, or into real life, let's say? Well, it's obviously difficult mm-hmm. and um, we are obviously also going sometimes in circles to come back to a question that we had already and um, with different people and with the new insights we have, then we probably come to different solutions. But um, in the moment, we have a very concrete um, way of what we want to do with the startup and what we are doing together with those companies. It's about non-customer data because most of the railway companies look at their customers and then optimize for what they customers want and there's very few companies working on the non-customers that means to understand that the the car drivers and the truck drivers better and to find out what it would need to get them on rails and obviously it's a lot of behavior change but it's also about more flexible scheduling and we have now um, so much more tools at our disposal like artificial intelligence like machine learning that you can do flexible scheduling that wasn't possible earlier because it was too complex yeah and also um, we have real-time data of car drivers that's amazing it's really crazy you have four billion data points of real real cars yeah and most of the car drivers don't know that they somewhere agreed that the the traffic data is shared anonymously therefore you can see really point to point um, traffic data and that obviously helps to optimize schedules and so on and especially in in regions that are not well served this could be a game changer to help um, have schedules that are better suited and obviously there are a lot of other things but that's what we're focusing first what can we do with non-customer data and um, and more flexible scheduling to find the ways how that people switch to to trains? But there are a lot of other aspects in that. For example, also pricing. Yeah, can we find more innovative pricing models? Yeah, because it's crazy that ninety percent of the trains are driving empty yeah those that are in rush hours they're full full Mm. full and in non-rush hours there's a lot of assets just moving without real occupation and therefore there should be some ways to make it more attractive for people to to use trains during those time because it will even make it more cheaper and so on yeah there are a lot of there are a lot of things that are into this mix and we hope to make a contribution to make um public transport sexier and more convenient. And are the companies running the trained operations interested into this type of innovation or this is something that you really need to do a lot of work to motivate them to move towards innovation and and reduce these waste, let's say, that you are moving the trains but they are empty, let's say, during non-peak hours? Well, there's a lot of interest and... um, they're they're just two impediments especially the large national railways they move very slow yeah and i totally understand that it's a very complex system 
there is zero zero error tolerance yeah you, you don't want to have accidents on the railroads mm -hmm. yeah you have a, we have a lot of accidents on the roads they never get to to the news but if you have one train accident that's news and it's a national tragedy and i understand that but yeah and therefore there's zero error tolerance you have to be very very safe there's a lot of assets there are billions of dollars into those assets that are everywhere costs a lot therefore it's quite difficult to move fast and if you do innovations you want to move fast you want to do trial and error yeah difficult for train companies and that's that's more the problem that means how can you find ways to to innovate and try things out and we are now having some innovative um, companies that will help us to build up a sandbox for trains yeah that means for example regional lines that are more or less about to be closed because they're not profitable that we say okay we can use these lines as a sandbox yeah where we can do new things innovative things and try things out obviously not not um not endangering security but even there is with new technology you can do security differently for example just to mention one thing um, all the train tracks are parted in i think four kilometers sectors mm -hmm. yeah? and if a train is in a sector of four kilometers the next sector has to be empty and then the next sector can only be used and this is because they fear that you can lose a wagon and that you that you would find out somehow yeah but now there are different new technologies. You just can GPS every wagon, and then you know if you have your wagon connected or not. Yeah, and there, and there is a different thinking in the railway sector because they um, they think very asset heavy. Yeah, for example, it's a billion investment program to connect all the trains with automatic coupling because they want to do everything at once. Yeah. If you say, okay, one thing we want to know, we just want to know where our wagons are, then you can just very cheaply with non-railway tech, yeah, GPS sensors and uh, and internet connection, that's all you need. And then you would know all where your wagons are. That's a very cheap investment, mm -hmm. but they don't do it. Yeah? And there are always reasons why they don't do it. Yeah, one is security and so on, because it has to be there are huge rules and re regulations of tech you can put into a train because you're afraid to have fires on the train and so on. It's a lot of things going on there, but uh, we think with, with our approach, we can make a difference. And there are companies that are not only interested in, but also willing to do such sandboxing that we can move fast and innovate there. Yeah, And it's really fun. Great. Yeah, sounds great. And glad that also, innovation is not only, of course, about building some complete new system, but also bring the existing existing systems, let's say, to a new way to manage it and, and improve it, right? Yeah, well, that's one of our core hypotheses, that we can bring change faster if we make an ecosystem out of existing companies and innovative brains yeah but we will see yeah it's not it's not granted that this works because we all know 
most of the um well elon musk did not say okay i tried to work together with daimler and with ford and gm and bring them to create electric cars yeah? he, he he built electric cars at first everyone was laughing about him and now everyone changed and but it took 20 years yeah and we hope we can accelerate that, but we will see. It's not it's not granted because obviously as a startup that has no liabilities, no assets, you can move much, much faster. Mm. Yeah. Understood. We will see. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And now moving because of course mobility is a big subject, but of course we have limited time, so let's go step by step yeah. towards now yeah. the other big problem that you're trying to solve is democracy, right? So what are the yeah. challenges you see in the current uh, democracy in, in into our world and to the West, let's say? Uh, what do you see? What are you trying to solve? And do you have some pilots or some improvements that you are already executing? Or is it still really into early phases of ideation of this school and so on? Yeah, well, um... It's difficult to start. Well, I, I, as I said, I tried already several approaches. I was um, co-founding a political party in Austria, quite successful, um, NEOS. Um, but when it's about system change, I l I've learned also with this experience, you can almost not do it from within an organization. It's just almost impossible. Um, it's bad in some situations it's good in other situations when you think of trump you're somehow happy that he could not change the system radically during his tenure but um that means there, there have to be ways from outside and um we are seeing a lot of innovative democratic concepts and also um, approaches and that's you were asking what is the problem the problem i'm trying to solve or contribute to solve is um that we're still doing democracy as we have done for two three hundred years ago when we didn't have all this technology means yeah that means my my ancestors in the in Tyrolean valleys had to say okay hans you go to Vienna and you take care of our interests, yeah, because we are here in, in Tyrol in our valley and we have to to do our farming. And um, nowadays, I thinking of representative democracy, it makes sense in certain cases, but not in all. And um, we are so empowered as consumers, yeah. If I want to book a flight, I don't have to go to an agency to book a flight. I can do it directly, yeah. If I want to book a hotel, I don't have to go to an agency that tells me this hotel is good and this is bad and because I'm the expert. No, I can look customer reviews I can, and I can book myself and I can see everything. And obviously not every citizen is interested in everything, but we have to find um, ways how we can be more involved, especially in the most important decisions. And I'm living in Switzerland and Switzerland is really a good example where you see that if you have a culture of this taking part in, in decision-making, then most of the time you get really to good solutions and to good results. And there are sometimes decisions that seem to be wrong, but on the other side, they 
start a process of thinking, of problem solving, that at the end lead to better results than just if the elites um, would would rule. And that means, for me, it's about empowerment and finding new ways how to involve more people into decision making and finding solutions on our in our area. Because when we when we look at that, I think there. Three major systems now how we organize societies in the world, yeah? and it's always a, a competition of of those systems. And when you look in 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 economy, yeah, if Tesla comes up and is very successful, then Tesla will or take another example is better. Probably there comes Apple produces iPhones and Nokia is out of the market, yeah. Nobody dying with, in this process, yeah. But some people losing jobs, having to find new jobs, and so on. But it's not bloody, yeah. When we look at at system change on the society level, it's most of the time very violent and bloody, yeah. For example, the Roman Empire creates a law, yeah. This was a social innovation. Not the person that was the strongest was in the right but the person that has the right. Yeah? And then they became economically and militarily more successful than others because of this social innovation. And then they were conquering Europe. And by conquering Europe, they were putting everywhere the Roman law yeah? and improved the systems there. Then there was Napoleon, superior organizational talent, was conquering Europe and organizing everywhere um, the countries in a superior way. But it was always or the French Revolution. It's always with blood. And now we have three systems. One is democracy, and democracy in the moment is in decline. Even people living in democracies don't believe in democracy anymore because it doesn't work anymore. Yeah? And then we have the Chinese system, very technocratic. The best people do it. Yeah? And we had this already with, with Russia um, after the Second World War. When they were quite successful, they had the first people in, in or the first living organisms in the in the space. Yeah, they were um, technically really advanced compared to US and, and so on. But obviously they failed with corruption and we now have the same system again, but China is quite successful and learned a lot and therefore that this is second system and I don't I don't know if I no, I know I don't want to live in such a system, yeah? but it looks like that now with buying all the companies in the Western world and so on, my kids could live at least in a management style that is more Chinese than we than we are now. Yeah? And I don't know if this is good. I think not that much. Yeah? And and the, and the third system is more or less Al Qaeda, ISIS, whatever you want to call it, agile networks, totally loosely coupled, organized by purpose. Yeah, and being quite successful when you look at defeating US um, in wars yeah? mm -hmm. <laughs> like this. And um, that's, that's the other scenario for me that uh, with the mass migrations coming out of Africa because of heat waves, um, droughts, um, not having enough to eat, if the billions in Africa start to move to Europe, there's no chance that we can hold them back. And then there will be those Al-Qaeda networks managing um, the society we are in. That means it's also not a very nice um, look into the future. 
And I, I learned, obviously we learn it in history, but I never have seen it like that. I always thought progress is linear. Yeah, Once you have achieved something, you cannot lose it. But when you look, for example, in the, in the ancient Rome, people were using water closets and had running water. Yeah, A few years later, at the same place, people were shitting on the streets again. Yeah, That means history is not developing linearly. That means there can be really a dark age again in, in our areas, and that would be for, for my kids and so on. And therefore, that's the problem I want to solve. I want to make democracy, I want to contribute to make democracy um, competitive again to create the best solutions and to create the best environment for people that more people want to have democracy and more people are believing that democracy is the best system. It's a bad system. We all know this saying it's a bad system, but the, it's a worse, a bad system, but the best we have or the least worse. Yeah. And therefore, uh, that's what we, that's, that's the problem I tried to contribute. And I, I didn't find yet the perfect solution. I was also thinking a lot of revolution yeah, <laughs> because that's also way how, how change happens. But now with this school of participation, I like this idea that it's not mine. I was asked if I want to contribute and I was happy to do that. Um, it's the idea to train and educate experts that know how to organize participation. Yeah. And um, our hope is that if you do proper participation projects and processes, that then the results are good for, for the people, for those in power, for, for the whole society. And that with that, if, if people professionally are involved in deciding in the most important decisions, that means you don't do a, a vote like Brexit, yeah? if there would be, have been some professionals knowing how to do participation pro processes and they would have done it properly, then probably we would have had a different outcome. And, um, and then with having a group of people that are professionals in, in, in making participation projects, we hope some of them will also get into executive power and then also being not reluctant to use participation also for um, for their work. Yeah? And by that, upgrading democracy to democracy 2.0, where obviously it's more about empowerment of citizens with new technologies. Okay. And is there any specific methodologies to bring these uh people to empowerment and to, to go to executive positions and um, help them into changing democracy at the moment? Or what is the method to arrive to it? Or if, if you have, or maybe not, yeah. right? I don't know. Yeah. No, well, there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of innovation going on in the democratic space and it's really cool. For example, one is cit citizens assemblies. Yeah, And that at the beginning, I wasn't, that a fan of it, but now I'm a total fan of it. Um, where you bring together randomly selected, representatively um, balanced people in a, in a room that are working out solutions. For example, I don't know, COVID vaccination mandate. Let's take that. Yeah, You just randomly select people out of all different sexes, social status, 
educational background, immigration, so whatever. Yeah? And you can calculate how much people you need to have a representative sample of those people. You sit them together. They have the task to work out a proposal for a law, for example. Then they hear all the experts. They can invite experts. They hear everything. Then they work out and they discuss solutions. And at the end, they come up with a, with a proposal. And most of the time, this is a proposal that really works. And we have seen it now in a lot of circumstances. For example, in Ireland, it was the question of gay marriage and no no politician in a Catholic uh, country was was courageous enough to say, oh, obviously, they should be able to, to marry. And then this citizens' assembly came up with a proposal and then there was a public vote and this vote was accepted. Yeah? And there are a lot of other examples and, and countries where citizens' assemblies are used and quite successfully. That means that's a one way of doing a different kind of representative democracy. Yeah? You don't have representatives for four years. You have representatives for a topic. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Then there's, for example, participatory budgeting. Yeah? Some, some cities now have this, that the certain amount of the budget is participatory spent. That means people can pr make proposals what they want to do with it, and then people can vote on it, and then um, it's done. And obviously, at the beginning, it never works perfectly. Yeah? But it's important that you learn as a system. For example, if you do participatory budgeting, let's say, in a village, and then one funny guy says, okay, I want to have a statue of myself in the in the village main place. Yeah? And because nobody participates, he gets his statue. Yeah? And obviously nobody wants to do that, but you have to do that in this very moment because then whenever everyone passes this statue, they will think, what a crazy, stupid thing. And then they learn the next time I have to participate. That means it's important that you also integrate learning processes into such thing and not start with a Brexit vote. Yeah? Um, exactly. That means there, there are a lot of different tools now how you do participation. And for example, one other out of the corporate sector I, I learned to love is Lego Serious Play. Yeah, That's a totally different way how you can involve all people in a meeting into finding solutions because most meetings are 80-20. Yeah? 20% of the people talk 80% of the time. And we all know that doesn't lead to the best decisions and there is Lego series play for example that's also methodology how you involve more people to participate in discussions finding solutions and so on and that means there's on one side a lot of tools that you can learn and obviously evolving that make you a more effective moderator facilitator of participation processes be it in society be it in companies and we now um, educate and train people to become those professional facilitators in, in democratic participation. And then um, there is no clear master plan how to do that. Our, our, our conviction is that those people will be very sought after because that's a competence that more and more people understand it's important. And we, we, you learn it during one year. That means it's one year you're working in a company doing participation projects or in, a, in an organization, in a community, wherever. And in the evenings, you learn the processes and tools and so on. And it's a one-year dual um, 
education. And after that, we think our um, our graduates will be highly thought after. They will have they will be quite successful in in whatever they're doing because they can they can use the power of many in a very good way, in a productive way. That means they will be more successful than others. And by that, we hope they will also become one day leading politicians, leading companies, uh, company heads, and with that um, changing the system, not from within, but not in a bloody way, but just in a in a peaceful way. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, so more like uh, coming from bottom to top to uh, give an example yeah. of, of how to improve the decision-making process, let's say. Yeah. Good. Um, now going to your other part of activities that you are doing. You said that, of course, you have these two operational activities where you are involved in day-to-day, -day, let's say, activities and running and so on, and then you have investment. So why did you start investing? What brings you to investment? It was purely because of the potential financial gains in the future, or it was, of course, being participant in more companies uh, into their journeys. What, what is the reason behind this? Let's say? Well, uh, I was blessed to have mentors and supporters back then. We didn't know the term business angels that helped me and my co-founders in the in the first companies to just create the company and to have all those um, insights that are necessary and so on. And it means I was blessed to have mentors and supporters um, during my entrepreneurial journey. And I was always trying to give back. Yeah, that means I'm mentoring a lot of startups or even students. They're not yet starting something. Um, it's a way to give back yeah and i learned this concept it's not giving back it's giving forward yeah i got something from people just without any strings attached and i'm doing the same and i hope that's like i'm giving forward every, every generation and we all know that um entrepreneurial systems work exactly like that yeah? that means you have ent successful entrepreneurs and they help others and that means before I even had the financial means, I was mentoring and helping others when they were asking for, for advice or help. And then with the, with being able to um, sell part of my shares that I had in the company that I was working mainly um, during my first days, I was also able to use money and obviously when you're starting a company there are several things that are missing yeah one is um, people and one is customers products and money and um, yeah and therefore i'm i'm often one of the first investors in companies helping them to um to as a kickstart the investment round and um yeah for me the the financial um, return is not why I'm doing it, but I hope if I'm doing it right, it's a, it's a good consequence because in the moment I, I don't have any paying job. That means I'm living from, from the, um, 
from what I what I've earned during my last 20 years and I hope that some of the startups that I invested in will be highly successful and that will cover all the investments in all the other startups plus um, my living got it, got it. and yeah so success with that hopefully that works and everything goes well uh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> well anyways you are working as well into other activities that maybe of course will work as well right so apart from the investments that they are operating by themselves um just talking about this journey as an investors i know that you were co-founding or part of b2b investment uh, fund if, if it was an investment fund in that moment maybe you can explain more what is b2b in in, in that moment um so well apart from telling us what is b2b and, and what was your participation there maybe you can tell us if you have seen an evolution from that moment in your decision-making process of investment from that moment till now in 2022, let's say. So uh, has something a change or you are basically focusing the fundamentals and basics that you already were applying in that moment? Yeah. Well, when we started B2V, Brains to Ventures, mm -hmm. the idea was to bring people together in the area of starting businesses. That means our idea was we bring together founding partners, especially business side and tech side. We bring together first employees and we bring those investors, business angels. And um, we started this in 2000 and 2000 was all the time when the bubble burst. And then we had to learn that it's quite difficult to set up such a business and to earn your salary um, with it. And that's why we then pivoted to Umantis, the company I was then um, leading for almost 20 years. But with B2B, then we pivoted more towards investment services. That means um, building up a network of entrepreneurial investors first that invested in that invest in, in companies and startups and we're doing all the deal flow and selection and then also the management of those deals. And on the other side, with time, um, B2B also built up funds where people just invest in, invest indirectly into the startup ecosystem. And um, when we started, um, the decisions where to invest, I was I wasn't involved that much into this part. Obviously, we were discussing all those things. And for me, it was always somehow about the team. Um, but in the meantime, I'm I'm more clear now what are the criteria for me to invest. Yeah? First is the team. Um, because at the end, most startups pivot in one or the other way. And therefore, to judge at the beginning, the product is not helpful because um, probably the product that will be successful will be totally different or somehow different than what they were presenting. That means team is for me very important. I look very much for hit for complementary skills. Um, that's one. Second is um, market. 
and market is market size and market dynamics yeah um, because when you when you have the perfect team and i've learned that also the hard way cost me a lot of money i had really a brilliant team working just in a shitty market and if the market is not working then you can be the best yeah and on the other side i have invested in somehow good teams but not the best teams but they were were in a big market and very dynamic market and were very successful just because they were at the right time at the right place that means <clears throat> market size is it big enough to to really make a significant business and market dynamics <clears throat> is it something where that's growing yeah because if something is growing it's much easier to make business than if something is um, in decline and you're fighting against competitors uh, and so on that means that's the second and that's more important than the product because if you're in the in the in the right market but you have a wrong product you will change it because you, you will learn with time and then you have the right product it's di more difficult to have a good product and then you see the market is not the right and then to change the market because you don't have the experience, you don't have the feedback and so on. It also works, but not so good. Therefore, first team, second market, market size and as a team is competencies, complementary competencies, knowing each other, working quite well together. Second is market, market size, market dynamics. And third is um, then the product. Yeah? looking at the product, do I believe in this product, how good is it, and so on. And there, most of the things are, I'm often investing in technology, and technology is always about then at the users. And therefore, there I, I advise all the startups to look first when they're starting their business, the only KPI that is most important is pace of learning. That means uh, maximize learning events. Um, do you have... in Go go out very early, talk to customers, get feedback from them. And then um, the other is stickiness. How often is the product used by its users? Do they stick with it or do you lose them again? The other thing is virality. Do you have... Um, best would be an inherently viral concept. That means... Let's let's look at um, Doodle, yeah, um, making appointments online, yeah. I want to have you to make an appointment with me. Therefore, I send you this link. Out of the process, yeah. That's a totally different game, because then it's viral out of the process, and probably you, you didn't use Doodle, then you see, then you like it, and then you will use it too. Or is it something like a Tesla? I buy a Tesla and then Elon tells me, hey, if you get your friend, then you get a premium. Yeah, that's a different kind of virality, obviously. And um, yeah, that's the second. Uh, and those are the most important for growth, stickiness and virality. And then there's one third that is for me more the defensive KPI. It's the network effect. Yeah, That means how much do your customers profit from other customers being on the same product. When you look, for example, at Slack, Slack didn't have a really good network effect, and therefore Microsoft team could come and just take away a huge part of their cake. <clears throat> if you have a network effect like WhatsApp or Facebook, then it's very difficult for, even with billions of investment, to go in and take it away. Yeah, that means 
these are the things that I'm looking at when I'm investing in nowadays. Yeah, that means it obviously evolved or became more concrete what I'm looking at. And what are your recommendations for people starting to invest in early stage startups regarding okay how much risk they should take into these or um yeah where they should join to look for deal flow or and this kind of information that maybe yeah. could be useful yeah. for them. Yeah. First of all, um, see every investment as a donation. Yeah, you just give the money and you don't expect anything back. Yeah, that's important because if you if you have a different set of mind, you will get crazy. Now that means make your budget of how much you would be willing to invest in this category. And then divide it by 20. That is then the ticket size you can invest. Let's say you have 100,000 that you say you could invest in this category, divided by 20. That is 5,000. Yeah, mm -hmm. true. That means um, your ticket size is 5,000. You invest 5,000 in startups, not more. Because you will have to at least invest in. 10 startups, then you have already invested 50,000. And then some of those will need follow-up investments. Yeah. And you have to have this money for them. That is one. Yeah, And really, think of it, you gifted this because you like the people, you want to support them, and hope someday you get money back. But you have to also be aware that the money back you get, if you're lucky, after 10 years, yeah? All the failures, that means that you see you lost your money are in between. That means you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose. And if you're lucky, you win. Or if, you, if, you, if you're not lucky, you lose everything, yeah? That means that you have to be quite aware. <clears throat> and then also something that I've learned late is what is the differentiation between good investors and bad investors in their behavior? Bad investors focus on those investments that have problems and good investors focus on those investments that don't have problems. Uh, well, they, all startups have problems, but there are those that are fighting for survival and there are those that are um, growing fast and you should, you should invest most of your intention into those that are really going, going, growing fast because those you, um, those will then pay your rent, more, so to say. And obviously, I, I don't let fall any any startup. And if someone comes and has problems and I can contribute solving it, I do it. But I have also limited time that I try to invest in those where, the, where I see the biggest potential now and not those that have the biggest problems. Mm -hmm. Got it. And um, now talking more about uh, you starting your own businesses, what are the resources and mentors that you have, uh, let's say, uh, validate your ideas during all these times? Uh, do you have any recommendations of resources, books, or podcasts that people need to follow in this area? Or? Well, one was, and that's what I recommend everyone, I'm, <clears throat> I'm mentoring quite a few students. I think university is the best place to start a business, yeah, mm -hmm. because you're you're in a pool with a lot of 
um, very bright people that have some time yeah, because when you're studying you always have time you can party or you can do something and um, that means that's a good place to start with and the three F fools the family friends fools some say it's a four F it's faculty yeah that's really those people that are working at university those can also be your first mentors and investors and therefore <clears throat> when you're still studying seed and you're interested in in starting a company that is one one point in in your life when you can do it probably optimally yeah you you find your people you work together with them in whatever project isaac um i was working at start and uh, with organizing a university ball and so on <clears throat> that means that's a good place to start to find your team and also to find mentors and um <clears throat> One book that I would recommend everyone who starts a business is Lean Startup. Yeah. You may not agree with everything there, but what I have learned also the hard way, you can test if there is market interest without and before having a product. Yeah. And that's important because you can start learning from your customers before you have a product. You can pretend to have it and then say, when people ordering it, you can say, hey, sorry, we are in private better because we have uh, we, we have not the full capacity yet and therefore you have to wait yeah <clears throat> or you can do it more openly and say hey um like kickstarter we would want to produce this product and if you have would have enough interest we will produce it whatever you do it however you do it but you can test before you have the product and that's so important because you start learning at the beginning of the journey and not once you have built the product and um, therefore lean startup is really a, a good book for that and just one example i was uh, one team was approaching me and said well we need uh, I, I don't know what it was five million and i was asking okay what do you need the money for yeah well we we're developing a new kind of bicycles for those fast delivery gorillas and flinks yeah we know exactly because we are in this business since long and to produce these bikes, you need a minimum patch of, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 bikes. Yeah. So, and obviously, to produce a bike is quite expensive, and they only produce it when you have large quantities. I was saying, but that feels for me stupid that the first version of your bike, you're just producing it in these huge amounts of numbers. Yeah, they don't do it differently. And so, I'm not sure. Yeah. If you say, okay, I want to have 20 bikes, yeah. And even if one bike is then 10 times the price that you would have with the huge patch, you're still much, much cheaper in absolute terms. Yeah? And it means produce 20 bikes, let 20 people ride your bikes, let's get their feedback, improve a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, and then produce the large quantities. And you will find someone who will produce it for you what you want for 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 this low quantity and i know it's difficult and it's not optimal but <clears throat> it's so important to then also have small entities and then reiterate more often than just starting and obviously in software it's easy yeah? you just do the next release but the moment you're in hardware we think we have to produce tons of products um yeah that is that would be my advice
Great. Thanks for sharing that. And maybe as a last question for today, so what kind of legacy do you want to achieve after into all these areas? Because I see that you, of course, are investing in a lot of startups, but also into these big topics of climate change and democracy. Uh, how do you see this in 20 years from now? What would you like to achieve in that moment? That's a really good question. Thank you very much for this. Um, on one side, I want to have raised my kids to become good human beings. I think that's my first priority. My um, second would be to help those people I'm working with to become more successful in what they are doing. And that means to contribute a little bit to build up such an ecosystem of entrepreneurs in Central Europe, let's say. Yeah. Um, and concerning forty two hacks, I would love to see that we made a contribution in accelerating solutions. And for democracy, that is where I see um, the biggest need and the least people working on it. Therefore, that is probably my, my most emotional um, niche. There, I want to find a way how to upgrade democracy and therefore my legacy there hopefully would be to have contributed to save democracy great yeah thanks for sharing i know that it wasn't a, an easy question but <laughs> it's, it's always mm. good to reflect what you'd like to achieve let's say absolutely um well maybe as a last point then how can people reach you out if they want to join you into this journey in democracy or climate change or the other investment areas let's say well i think the easiest way is in linkedin you can just type in herman arnold there are not that many <laughs> um and then you connect and just write by connecting what your topic is mm -hmm. okay So thank you very much, Herman, for your time today. And I hope that, well, we can talk in the near future and see the progress that you are making towards your legacy and, and work towards that and making it happening. So all success and we keep talking. Thank you very much, Ricardo, for having me. And thank you very much for the great questions. <laughs> You're welcome. See you. See you. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. Feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time.